Good morning, Hilton Head Island Community Church. I hope you're doing well this morning. You guys uh, wake up on time, all ready to go for, uh, you know, the, uh, the uh, daylight savings time uh, today. Uh, you guys are like, look like you're ready to go, ready for a parade today down on the south end. Yeah, I can tell you're just really excited about that. So anyway, you know, I was thinking that they never ask us pastors about daylight savings time. Uh, that would have been something that we would have voted down, I promise you. So, hey, if you have your Bible, you can turn to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1. Uh, today, we continue in our series called Steadfast. And um, I know that uh, I have, in my spiritual life, uh, in my past, made a commitment or two along the way to the Lord. And as soon as I made that commitment, I was challenged. I was challenged to get off course on the commitment God uh, led me to and that the Holy Spirit did in my life. And uh, there were times as I was an early believer that I had people and things come into my life who challenged that and caused me um, to, to maybe uh, have the, the temptation to get kind of bumped off or distracted uh, from what God was doing in my life. And some of you are here today in a you know, room this size with this many people, a lot of different uh, you know, you know, kind of perspect, uh, areas that uh, we're, we're in in terms of our spiritual growth and our journey and where we are. And some of you are here today, and you, you might be new believers. You might have just recently accepted Jesus as your Savior. And so um, I, I want to ensure that you are steadfast and give you some, some tips and maybe some tools to be able to remain steadfast in the midst of someone or something in your life trying to distract you and get you bumped off of your uh, God-given mission and calling in life. And maybe you're here today, and my goodness, you've been a Christian for a long time, and there are still distractions, aren't there? There are still things that cause us to, to really just allow the world and the circumstances and people of life to just knock us off course of of God's best for our lives. And so this is a series where we're be really taking a look at, at several different characters from the Bible. Last week we began with Nehemiah and really focused on how Nehemiah was someone who had the opportunity to get distracted because of critics and skeptics. Any of you ever had critics and skeptics in your life? And uh, we talked a little bit about that. Um, and uh, today we're going to be taking a look at Hannah and the disappointment that life brought this lady by the name of Hannah in the Old Testament. Now, how many of you have ever in your life had something that was a disappointment in your life? Raise your hand this morning, all right? Now, keep those hands up. Look around. We're in really good company, aren't we, this morning, all right? Yeah, that's, that's good. It's encouraging to know that um, you're like, yeah, I'm glad someone else has had a problem too. Uh, disappointment comes in all forms or fashions, and the disappointment that we're going to be talking about today is not just the typical disappointment. It's not just the normal disappointment of life, like the disappointment that happens when your favorite NFL team or your favorite college football team loses in overtime games in the championship game. That's happened to me. That, that was just, those are just minor disappointments. Uh, the next day, yeah, I see a few hands waved here. Yeah, you guys are with me. Um, those are disappointments, uh, and, and you may have something that happened in your life, something that was just, you know, a minor disappointment, something that was just a bump in the road. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about something that is a serious disappointment that causes us great despair. And today we're going to be taking a look at Hannah's journey from disappointment because the disappointment that she experienced was something that uh, caused her great distress and it caused her great despair. 
And yet she remained steadfast. She remained faithful to God. In fact, she kept on seeking after God. And today, not only are you going to hear about Hannah's story, but you're going to hear about someone in the life of our church um, who has a story that's similar to Hannah. And what we're going to do today is we're going to walk through uh, really the first 20 verses of 1 Samuel and take a look at six different parts of Hannah's story and, and how she went from a place of, of journey, uh, a journey from a place of despair into joy. And the first thing is, is that Hannah experienced the disappointment of infertility. Now, for you, your disappointment may not be that. That may not be your struggle. Um, but for some of you, it is. Uh, for some of you, the struggle that has caused you or is causing you despair might be something completely different. And Hannah's experience with infertility is just an example of life disappointment that comes our way that causes us great pain and causes us despair. I want you to hear a little bit about this story from 1 Samuel chapter 1. Let's take a look at it. This first verse, I'm warning you, has a lot of Hebrew names. So if you're looking for a name for a baby, there might be some good ones here. Okay, take a look at this. There was a certain man. There was a certain man of Ramathan Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim. By the way, I can, I can barely get English names out. Never mind Hebrew names, okay? So let's keep on going. The hill country of Ephraim, so, uh, whose name was Elkanah. The son of uh, uh, Jeroam, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zerf, and Ephrathite. We got through it. Isn't that cool? We got through it. All right, verse 2. Let's keep moving. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penea. And Penea had children, but Hannah had no children. And you see, Hannah's story begins when in her life, this circumstance that she had absolutely no control over, she had nothing to do with, all of a sudden comes up in her life that she had no children. And we see that echoed in different stories in, in God's Word. We see that uh, echoed in different stories of Scripture um, that God used a situation like infertility to, to do His work, to bring about His gospel. And we're going to see in Hannah's life that this great despair and the disappointment of infertility was something that he was going to use for good, but it wasn't always easy along the way. In fact, um, her disappointment of dealing with this subject of infertility um, really got worse by someone who came, who was in her life, who came into her life that she maybe might have gotten some encouragement from, but yet she didn't because they were a hater. And that's the second part of her life is that she was provoked by haters. I had a situation years ago where um, we were going through something in our lives, uh, me and Cynthia, that was very discouraging, and it was a very difficult time, um, and it was, our, it was just complicated. It was just one of those situations that was just messy and complicated, and I remember having someone in my life who just kind of like, um, you know, tried to be an encouragement, and then all of a sudden, um, he became a real big discouragement. Have you ever had that happen? And someone comes in and they, they begin to go from, you know, like this, like encouraging, it sounds like it's great. Like they'll say, hey, I want to share something that God laid on my heart. And then by the end of the conversation, you're the one that's crying. You're like, oh, yeah, this can't be from God. There's no way it can be from God. And, and, and so she was provoked. Hannah was provoked by, by her hater. Take a look at verse 3. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. 
on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Paniah, his wife, and to all of her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a what? A double portion. Because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. I want to stop there for a second. I, I, my prayer for some of you who are here today, and you're going through disappointment in life that is of none of your doing, that is something that has just risen up in your life, that is something that you had nothing to do with. It's not a result of any sin or anything in your life. My prayer is, is that you would have someone like Hannah's husband, Elkanah, who loves you and who is willing to make the journey of life with you. Because he gave her a double portion because he loved her. I, no, I want you to notice, he didn't feel sorry for her, did he? He didn't have pity on her. He loved he loved her. Take a look at verse 6. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I no more to you? Than ten sons? You see, Hannah was dealing with something that was difficult, and that was made worse by someone who was provoking her. And so the situation in her life that was uh, the situation that was disappointing and was something that was severely disappointing went to the point of despair because she had someone in her life who was mocking her and jeering at her and making the situation so much worse. But it's sometimes when we're at our lowest point that God could do the greatest work. It's sometimes we're at that low point that we desperately cry out to him because we need him so much in what's going on in the situation in our life. And that's exactly what we see in kind of this third phase of Hannah's life in chapter 1 of 1 Samuel. She goes from pain to promise. And just like Hezekiah last week, she does it through prayer. She got on her knees. She kept going to God. She kept seeking after him. Check this out in verses 9 through 11. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, verse 9, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed. And she prayed to the Lord. And she wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow. And said, oh, Lord of hosts, if you will indeed, I want you to remember this prayer. If you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give, your servant, give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. You see, she went from this place of being in pain to a place of, of seeking after God and a place of promise where she made a promise to God to give back her son to the Lord if he would answer this prayer. But she was honored with that. And we'll look at the rest of the stories Paul Harvey used to say in a moment. Um, well, you know, she was honored with that um, because she went to God. She cried out to God. I want you to notice her prayer. This is so good. Notice her prayer. Hannah's honest prayer was, God, Notice my pain. Notice my pain. Remember me. 
Remember me, God. And then she almost repeats that when she says, don't forget the affliction of your servant. Don't forget me. Those sound very similar, don't they? All three of those are crying out like, God, do you even see me? How many of you have been there before? When you're in the midst of crisis, when you're in the midst of a circumstance, and you're like, I don't even know if God notices me. I want you to know today that he does. He does. He sees you. And Hannah's a great example of what we're to do when we feel like we're unnoticed, when we feel like we're forgotten, is we cry out to God in honesty, and, and we, we ask him to remember us, say, I'm over here, God, look at me, I need your help. And that's the fourth thing that she does, is she actually makes the request. She makes the request, give your servant a son. And then finally, she makes a promise. She says, I'll give back my son to you, and she makes good on her promise. But the pain didn't stop there. After she went to the Lord, Eli, this priest, who was a great man of God, who did amazing things in the nation of Israel, looks at her and wonders what in the world is going on. Look at verses 12 through 16. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunk woman. I kind of find that part of it humorous. Like, he's looking at her going, what's going on here? I, 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 like, I don't hear anything coming out, but uh, you're like your heart's crying out to God, but your lips aren't moving. What's going on? And he just surmised that she must have had too much to drink. Probably made her a little bit irritated, right? Take a look at verse 14. And Eli said to her, how long will you be going on being drunk? Put your wine away from me. Completely misunderstood. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord. I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk, she says, no, neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Sorry, Eli, you got it wrong. He says this, don't regard your servant as, worth, as a worthless woman. For all along, I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. This was someone who was in severe turmoil because of what was going on in her life. And she's completely misunderstood. How many times in the midst of our crisis, of our disappointment, are we misunderstood by people around us? Even good people, even godly people, even Christians misunderstand us sometimes and especially when we're pouring out our heart to the Lord and then we see the blessing of Eli things change he understands what's going on in verse 17 he answers her then Eli answered and he says this go in peace he realizes that she's just crying out to God she's just taking that deepest dark darkest most difficult part of her life and she's crying out to the Lord and he he comes to the realization and he says go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him and she said to him let your servant find favor in your eyes that let, uh, then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. You see, she receives the blessing from God's man. He says, go in peace, and that's because she did cry out to God, even though at first she was misunderstood. And we see in Hannah's life that she goes from this place of complete dis disappointment to joy, and that's the sixth portion of her life that we find in 1 Samuel 1, is she goes from this place of disappointment to joy. Check out verses 19 and 20. They rose early in the morning, and they worshiped before the Lord. 
Then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. And the Lord, I want you to say that next word with me, remembered her. What was the request that she made to God in her prayer? She says, notice me. Remember me. Don't forget me, God. And what does he do? He grants her the answer to her prayer. But that wasn't her real request, was it? That wasn't her real request. That was the request in the midst of her disappointment. The real answer comes in verse 20. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. You know, it's so interesting that this woman who dealt with such a issue that is so personal and is so desperately disappointing in life went to God and he answered her prayer. But the one thing that I keep thinking in the midst of Hannah's story is I'm sure there were times of doubt. I'm sure that there were times when she was like, is God ever going to come through? Is he ever going to answer my request? And I don't doubt that there's more than one person that's in here today that's probably right in the midst of a disappointment that you're like, I don't know if God is ever going to come through. And I want you to learn that from Hannah's life, among many other things, that for her remaining steadfast through the disappointment in life to God, because she kept coming back to worship him, really meant that she was honest about her feelings and what she was going through. She was honest with God about her feelings. Hey, listen, I want you to hear this, church. Sometimes the reason that um, we cause so many problems in, like, in the relationships closest to us when we are going through disappointment in life is because we're not honest with God. He's the one that needs to hear it. Perhaps you always take it to the person that you love the most, and perhaps that person is just like, man, I just don't know if I want to hear this anymore. Like, I've heard this over and over again. You're kind of like Eli. I wonder if they've been drinking a little bit too much. Like, come on, what's going on here? Hannah took it to the Lord. She brought that despair to him. And I wonder what would happen, church. I wonder what would happen if you and I truly took our desperation to God. Truly took our disappointment to the Lord. Like, really seriously, like, really actually took it to him. I didn't hold anything back. And the second thing that she does is she is genuine in her sacrifice back to him. She makes a promise. and She makes good on a promise. Because she gave God her son, whose name was Samuel. And Samuel ended up being the one who anointed David, the king of Israel. And that began to prepare the way for Jesus to come and save us from our sins. Do you see how remaining steadfast to God's plan and to remain, remaining faithful, remaining steadfast and faithful to him is not something that's just going to help you, but it's something that could prepare the way for God to do something great among his people and in this world. Hannah's this great story of what it means to remain steadfast in the midst of disappointment. But I want you to hear from Jill Mackay this morning. So I'm going to ask Jill to come up here on stage. And I'm going to have her use this microphone right here. I want you to hear from Jill because Jill's story is something that's very similar to Hannah's 
story. And why don't you give it up for Jill Mackay this morning, being willing to share her story. <laughs> Jill, thanks for being here today. Um, Jill and Scott moved here, gosh, a year ago. And uh, Scott is our, um, he's our adult and community pastor. And uh, um, her story is, is something that I, I think will encourage you today. And I hope it'll bless you and encourage you. And you say that you and Hannah are a lot alike. Explain that. Explain how you and Hannah are very similar in your stories, Jill. Well, Hannah and I would have been good friends for sure. Uh, we had a lot in common. Uh, we both wanted to be a, a mother. We both wanted children. Um, yet the years were passing. Year by year by year, we were um, both um, struggling with empty arms. And those were hard years for Hannah, I'm sure, as they were for me as well. When Scott and I got married, we assumed, like most couples do, that we would start a family when we were ready to start a family. But it didn't happen like that. Things don't always go as planned. Um, I didn't know it then, but infertility would be the thorn that the Lord used to have me continually returning to him year after year and surrendering that to him. Um, how, how did you begin to get through that thorn, as you say? Because I would imagine that there are some whose thorn is infertility, but there, there's probably a hundred different thorns here today. How did you begin to get through that? Well, looking back, I could see I can see that there were a lot of markers along the way that the Lord used um, to keep me coming back to him. A lot of ways that he spoke and moved along the way um, that made a big difference in our journey. Early in the journey, we met with several specialists and... Er, I guess we were about um, two pregnancy losses in and several years of unexplained infertility in when we saw this particular specialist, and he said to us that we had a less than 2% chance of ever having biological children. And that was devastating news. We were already hurting at the time, and that was a hard prognosis. Um, but almost before those words could set in, the Lord spoke so clearly to me in the doctor's office, and he said, Jill, if I ordain it, your chances are 100% every time. And that stuck with me for years. And I would circle back around those words in that moment many, many times in the years that followed. Um, and more loss followed in the years that came and the years that followed. I had successfully by now avoided most of my friends' baby showers. And all my friends around me were enjoying their growing families. Kids were getting older and going to school. And I felt like I didn't fit anywhere. Uh, I didn't fit with my single friends because I was married, and I didn't fit with my married friends because I had children. And those were really hard times. It was a hard season. Um, and it wasn't getting any easier. There were tests and surgeries and medications, and we were still coming up short on answers. And I was a planner, and that was very frustrating for me because my plan wasn't working out. Someone who's a planner and has disappointment and doesn't feel fit anywhere in life can um, lead to a lot of, of continuing disappointment. Um, how, did, how did you and Scott, you know, how did you guys handle the continuation of that disappointment? Well, we handled it differently, for sure. Men and women do that, don't we? <laughs> we do, we do. Don't we? Um, it's a hard road for husbands and wives, but I think um, that particularly for women, infertility strikes... Um, in a deeply intimate and personal um, place. It, 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 um, it affects our identity and, and our dreams and all of that. So um, there were certainly times in our journey when I felt like God was um, present and um, I knew that he was good and I knew he was sovereign over my dreams and my life. 
But then there were those times when I felt like I was hanging on to my faith by a thread, and I was angry at God. And I journal a lot. I've always journaled my prayers. I've been doing that for many, many years. And so this was a time that I wrote a lot. My journals were full. But this was a place I could lay bare my frustrations and my sadness and my grief before God and take him all of those things, much like Hannah did. Um, I didn't understand what God was doing. Um, and somewhere along the way, thankfully, I stopped trying to figure it out. <laughs> I think that's part of uh, dealing with disappointment is mm-hmm. stopping and allowing God to do his work. I love the fact that you journaled um, because I think that if uh, in our spiritual journey, if we can make record of what God did during the times of disappointment, we can look back and see what God did and see his faithfulness in that time. And you guys are in this point in your life and there's probably hope and there's probably this great tension between the disappointment and yet the hope. um, And and you're I would imagine, you know, the, the story continues, mm-hmm. and uh, it doesn't continue in a good way necessarily in, at this point. So what, what continued to happen? Well, at this point, things were changing, and our desires were changing. We were about 10 years into marriage this time, eight years into this infertility journey, and the Lord opened our eyes to adoption. And I remember very clearly we, were, we had been talking about we can't have children, and that was always a heavy topic for us. And I heard someone talking about adoption, and they said, you can have children through adoption. And it was like a a flip, a a light switch went on, and we started thinking, wow, we can have children. And so God was changing our desires, and we got really excited about that. It was a new direction for us, and we knew right away that it was not a plan B for our family. This was God's sovereign direction and his sovereign plan for us becoming a family, and we were thrilled to be a part of it. And we knew that this was how he intended to make us a family. Um, And then that got hard, too, unfortunately. Um, We sensed the Lord leading us to an international adoption. And we went through the process, started that process of paperwork and all. And just about the time we paid our first agency fee, there was turmoil in that country and adoptions came to a halt. So there we were again back at square one. And we continued to pray and seek the Lord and just ask him, what, what do you want for us? We know that you've led us to this place with adoption. What do you want for us now that this door has closed? And we pursued other avenues and other things that he brought to us for two years, another two years. And every time we stepped through the door, the door would close. And um, hard times, let me tell you. Um, in 2008, we found a domestic agency in Texas, adoption agency in Texas, and We were really excited about it. We knew that all of those doors, it was the first time that we sensed that all of those doors before had closed to get us to this place, and we were so excited about it. And we were nervous, too. Um, No one around us had adopted at the time, and so this was all brand new to us. We didn't really know what to expect, but we were excited about it. And so we went through the process of doing our orientation and doing our home study, and we made our scrapbook for the birth family, and we were all, you know, we were very excited, and then we waited. And several months passed, and finally we got that phone call that everybody waits for that says you've been matched with a birth mother. And we were so excited. We loved what God was doing again, and we believed that his heart was for adoption. And so we were excited to, be get, to get to become parents this way and be part of something that the Lord loves so much. So by now I was thinking we were in the clear. Surely we're in the clear, right? All, all the hard stuff's behind us. And then another blow, another disappointment. Yes, um, and we've been talking about all-in as a church recently, and I had an all-in moment here on our path as well. 
Like all expectant parents, we were anxiously awaiting the arrival of this new baby. We were very excited. Baby was due on over the weekend. It was a Friday night. Everything was ready to go. Um, the nursery was ready. The car seat was buckled into the car. And we were excited. There was, uh, the only thing I had not done was there was this little stack of baby clothes, brand new baby clothes, sitting on the table, neatly folded, ready to go in the suitcase, and I hadn't put it in the suitcase yet. Um, because outwardly, I was making all the necessary preparations for the baby, but inwardly, I was still holding back. I was still scared to death that we'd lose again, and so I wasn't all in. And that Friday night, I looked at that stack of clothes, and I was, you know, we were busy getting ready for the baby, and I was moving around, and I I passed that stack of clothes, and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to take a step of faith. I'm going to cut the tags off of the clothes. And that sounds like such a silly thing, but it was a huge thing for me at that moment. I just, it was a huge leap of faith for me. And so I did it. I cut the tags off, and I put the clothes in the suitcase, and we waited. And we waited through the phone, through the weekend, no phone call. And then on Monday morning, we got a phone call. And my world fell apart. I was crushed. The thing that I had feared most um, happened. And there was, um, the birth mother had changed her mind. And so it was another loss that fell through. And I was crushed. Um, and at this point, it wasn't even about the baby anymore. It was between me and God. I felt like I was surely broken enough already and that I had taken this huge leap of faith and that he had asked me to take and then crushed me. And that's how I felt. I felt like he had crushed me. That's, that's the point in the story that I would have been like, God, this is personal now. Mm-hmm. And, and I've been in situations not like you've been in, but situations where I thought, man, I, maybe God is against me. I've, I've bought that lie. Um, what, what, ha- what happened next in the story? Well, in the days that followed, I shut down, and I shut everybody out. I didn't answer my phone. I didn't answer emails. I didn't answer the door. I didn't want to see anybody, mainly because I didn't want to tell the story over and over again. And we went to the mountains on a little weekend trip to regroup. Um, and the grief that I had, that I took with me on the plane, I brought right back home. And in that place of utter dark- darkness, the Lord whispered again in one of those significant moments again. And he said, Jill, sometimes it's the brokenness of your kingdom that brings the most glory to mine. And that was another thing that I came back to many, many, many times over the years. First Samuel 2, 8 and 9 says he lifts the needy out of the ash heap and that he guards the feet of his faithful ones. And he does indeed do that. The weeks after that disruption were intense. Um, we know through scripture, scripture says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he does. And I think in grief, he capitalizes on our despair. Thankfully, I had many people praying for me during that season, um, during that time when I found it hard to pray for myself. Um, sometimes all I could muster was just, Jesus, please hold on to me. Please don't let go of me. Um, and I think this is where Hannah is in her story and certainly where I was in mine. Um, where I was broken, but I was holding to God with everything I could, with everything I had. Your story ends just like Hannah's does with with the blessing. Tell mm-hmm. us, as Paul Harvey says, the rest <laughs> of the story. Well, about six weeks later, our agency called again with a match. We'd be matched again with another birth mother, and I was really, really reluctant. Reluctant really doesn't even cut, cut it at all. I was so scared to invest myself emotionally at this point. Um, and sometimes when you come into adoption after infertility, you get there kind of beat up. Your heart's already been through a lot and you're pretty bruised. Um, 
thankfully, our, these precious um, team at the agency had become good friends of ours, and they had walked with me through this, walked with us through this time of um, just grieving the other loss. And so they were holding my hand, certainly, as I limped along. But thankfully, on New Year's weekend that year, at about 10 p.m., we got the phone call that we'd been waiting for, and our little baby was on the way. Um, and our sweet little handsome baby ma made his arrival early one morning as the sun was coming up, and we got to be there um, with him as he took his first breath. And what I love about it is, is the Lord had chosen a very courageous birth mother for us, and out of her bravery, we became a family. Scott became a, a father, and I became a mother. And Cade came into your life. And if you drove up early this morning, uh, Cade was out in the parking lot with a vest on, with a security vest on, uh, at how, how old? How's he? Nine. It, nine years old, <laughs> helping park cars. And no wrecks yet, still, That's Scott, right. right? So it's good. It's a good thing. He will be the best parking guy you ever have. He is just an absolute joy. Um, and and uh, you, you guys have experienced the blessing of Cade, but your story mm -hmm. just gets even better from That's there. That's right. Well, I love the part of the story where Hannah keeps returning to the Lord. Um, and I want to share this part. In 2001, this was eight years before Cade was born, I was studying for Samuel in a small group Bible study and I was in the airport in DFW uh, airport coming home from a business trip and I was doing working on my Bible study and I felt the Lord encouraging me to write or to pray specifically for a child for my child and to pray specifically by name for him and so in the margin of first Samuel I wrote Cade I'm praying for you and I wrote the date and then I came home that evening from my trip and told Scott what had happened and he said, that's crazy, because I, he was having dinner with a friend from our church the same night, almost exactly the same time, and said that our friend had encouraged him to pray specifically for our child. And so we knew that God was up to something good, and um, it was a reminder writing that and praying for him for eight years before he ever took a breath. Um, it was a reminder to me along the way to keep asking and keep believing and it was easy when we picked a verse for Cade when he was um, a baby, 1 Samuel um, 1, 27. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. I think Hannah and I, Hannah and I would have been good friends, both in barrenness and also in motherhood. Hindsight's twenty twenty. What are some of, the, some of the lessons that you learned about trusting God through disappointment? Well, I think um, as I glimpse backwards, Shortly after Cade was born, I had a shift in perspective, and I could see that there were many roadblocks along the way, um, but I was looking at the backside of them by then, and they looked a lot different. Sometimes there were, it felt like there were more roadblocks than actual road, which was really frustrating, and, um, but I knew that they were exactly, all of those roadblocks were exactly the things that the Lord used to get us to the right place at the right time for Cade, and as with a few more years now um, passed since then, I can look back and see even more. And I can see that those things that the Lord was doing and accomplishing in us, like refining and purging and remaking and restoring and renewing, all of those things were necessary. And they were a necessary part of the journey and that those years were not wasted. And the story didn't end there. Um, three years after Cade was born, now we were 16 years into our marriage now, 14 years of those um, with infertility issues, I found out that I was pregnant at a ripe old age of 40. And um, God... You, you can clap. You can clap. <laughs> yeah. They're wanting to clap. Yeah. 
that, that was a, a big surprise, um, to say the least. We had given up, long since given up the maternity rider on our insurance coverage. That had been gone for a decade at least. Um, and we had laid down every, th every thought of ever having a biological child, and we were perfectly okay with that. We loved the way that God wrote the story of our family. We were ready to adopt again, and we were excited about it. But here he was throwing us a curveball at this point in our lives. Um, I struggled with anxiety through the entire pregnancy and um, considered high risk for pregnancy loss at every trimester. And so there was no easy moment in that. Um, but by God's grace and provision, our little miracle made it. <laughs> and she's a mess. <laughs> she keeps us, I tell people sometimes, she's the child I should have had when I was 25. Um, she keeps us busy for sure. But I felt like in, in God's divine humor, he was saying to those doctors back, you know, so many years before, that I'll take your 2% and I'll raise you the other 98% because nothing is impossible with God. Yeah, that's so great. That is so absolutely true. Now, I realize that your story ended up a little bit like Hannah's. Mm -hmm. It was a blessing. Um, but just in closing here today, I, I know that uh, whether it's infertility or something else mm -hmm. that um, some of the folks out here are dealing with, their story may right. be right now in the darkness. Right. Um, they, may, they may be in that place of more roadblocks mm -hmm. than roads. What would you tell them? My heart is really soft toward those people whose story, they're either still in the battle or maybe the story hasn't turned out like they thought it would. Um, because I know that all, all infertility stories don't end up like ours do. And um, my heart is always soft towards those stories and those um, women in particular who are work, um, dealing with that. But I know that we have a God who sees us. And we're never overlooked. And we're never off of his radar. He's always got his eye on us. Um, but ultimately, I think he's working out one thing in us, and that is that whatever the struggle is, if the, if the prayers get answered the way we hope they will, or if he writes the chapter in a different way, are we trusting him? Can we trust him? Um, and I know he wants us to make a people wholly yielded to his ways and give us eyes to see that all that we've walked through has a purpose and that we can trust the Lord to use all of it for his glory. Jill, thank you so much for sharing such a personal story this morning. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that you were willing to share your story this morning, and I'm so thankful that God brought you and Scott and Cade and Claire to Hilton Head and to Hilton Head Island Community Church. You guys are a joy, and I'm just so thankful for you. Today, as we close, I want to pray for you. Some of you, your source of disappointment may in fact be infertility. But it could be any number of things. It could be a dream that God has given you that has never been realized. It could be a business that has failed. It could be a relationship that's failed. It could be a financial situation that has gone terribly wrong and out of control. And today I want to ask you the question, What's standing in the way of you and having that deeper faith that Jill talked about? To have God carry you through the crisis, carry you through the disappointment. Are you going to remain steadfast to him? Are you going to truly go to him, truly continue to go to him, persevere with him? Or are you about ready to give up? My encouragement to you is don't give up because he will not give up on you. He will not give up on you. He's a God who remembers. He's a God who restores. 
And even though the situation may not work out exactly like you think and exactly in the timing that you think is right, he is a God who is faithful. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you for the story of Hannah and what it demonstrates in our ability and willingness to be steadfast. And God, I want to pray for those who are here today who um, their source of disappointment might be infertility. It might be something else. God, I pray right now in the strong name of Jesus that you would be with everyone in this room who right now is going through a period of time where they want so desperately to have that thing that is such a great disappointment turned around. God, I pray right now that you would help them have the faith to understand and know that you are a God who remembers and that you're a God who restores. God, help them to trust in you. God, help them to trust in your provision. God, I pray for the Christ follower who's in here. God, I pray that they would continue to do what Hannah did, that they would continue to persevere and to go back to you. She even went back to the place where she was um, made fun of and and God mocked. And I I pray that you would allow us as your people um, to be desperate enough for you that we would go back to you over and over and over again because we trust in you. We have faith that you're going to provide. We know that you're going to carry us through that place of disappointment. And God, I pray for anyone who's in here who's dealing with a sin or a lifestyle that might be preventing them from having that deeper trust in you. God, I pray that they would lay that at your feet, that they would give that up that they would remove that thing that's in the way of them and trusting you at a deeper level. God, I pray that you would take that and remove it, God. I pray for those who may be in this room who don't know you as their Savior. And their step of, of trusting you is actually receiving you as their Savior. If you're here today and uh, you've never put your faith in Jesus for eternity, God sent Jesus into this world, his son, to die on the cross so that your sins could be forgiven. Three days later, he rose again from the dead so that we know that we could have eternal life with God one day when we die. And the Bible says that if we believe in him, if we receive him as our savior, that we will have eternal life. And today, if you're here and you've never accepted Jesus as your savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. It's just you and God, every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here today and you've never put your faith in Christ, you never put your faith in Jesus to be your Savior, I want to invite you to do that right now. I'm going to pray a prayer out loud, and I want to encourage you just to pray it to God the best way that you know how in the silence of this room. It goes like this. God, thank you for sending your Son to die for my sins. And right now, I admit that I have things that keep me from you. I have sinned in my life that keeps me from you. And right now, I give that to you and I accept you. I receive you to be my Savior. Help me to live now for you. God, I pray that you would do a work in our church and in our community that's amazing. God, I thank you so much that you're a God who is steadfast with us and faithful with us. And God, I pray that we would do that for you, that we would be steadfast with you in the midst of our disappointment. Today, as I just close, if anyone prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you to just take that 
folder that we gave you when we walked in and let us know about your commitment to Christ. If you're dealing with anything that you just want prayer for, any, anything that's a stronghold that may be keeping you from being steadfast with God, if you want to come up here and talk to me or talk to Scott McKay, we'll be uh, down here at the uh, uh, either end of the stage. God, thank you so much for your son. And now we just give you back just a portion of us in worship. And we pray all this in your son's name. Amen.